On ABC Local Radio, time to talk DVDs with Rob Pemberton. Rob, a very good morning to you. A very good morning to you. Now, Rob, you and I are both huge fans of the podcast series, You Must Remember This. And I do remember that. That's right. Over this year, and I really, really recommend people um, download and listen to You Must Remember This. So they, they do it kind of in, in, in series, and um, they had um, Hollywood during the war, and then they also had um, the Manson murders and MGM. Excellent series, the Manson murders. Really Excellent. fabulous, fascinating. Yeah. But also, recently, the most recent kind of series within this podcast has been about the history of the blacklist, and specifically people whose careers were well, directly or maybe indirectly affected by this very dark time in Hollywood and America's history. Yes, it, I wonder if the current generation of film guys even know that much about this period because we're now talking uh, the 1940s and 50s mm. and 60s in America and it's getting on quite a bit a now. Although ago. some experts would have you believe that the effects of, of this blacklisting of various uh, leftist members of the Hollywood community uh, is still in effect today. And I was just reading yesterday that one of the... Uh, marginal uh, actors and producers who was affected by the blacklist was an actor by the name of Norman Lloyd who appeared out here as an actor in uh, St. Elsewhere. Oh, yeah. I don't know whether people know him much uh, from other things that he'd done, but he worked with Austin Wells and John Houseman with the Mercury Fedium back in that period. He's still alive at 101. Wow. <laughs> Tremendous. Mm. And he's still working. And he had to give up his regular tennis date of two times a week oh, last no. year Poor to God. celebrate his centenary, yes. So anyway, uh, yeah, the effects of the blacklist uh, are still there in Norman Lloyd, who was, as I say, marginally affected, as mm. were some 300-plus producers and writers and actors who were uh, black-banned by the uh, industry and found suddenly that they couldn't get work and their phone calls were not being returned. And a very famous grouping called the Hollywood Ten were called to appear before the House of uh, Un-American Activities, HUAC, that uh, was created during the 40s to uh, uh, investigate the... Uh, yeah. paranoia that oh, uh, was around about the communists. You know, don't you find it incredible, or not so incredible, because of course it predated the blacklist and the Red Scare and it goes on today, that a country such as the United States that professes to love free speech so much is only too ready to crack down and imprison, in the case of the person we're talking about today, people who express a different view. It's amazing stuff, and I was just reading uh, this morning that Newt Gingrich, the Republican oh, yeah. uh, well-known political pundit, um, has just requested that uh, we look at the recreating the House of Un-American oh, no. activities to deal with the Islamic threat, and that is June 2016. Well, if you're a hammer, you are forever looking for a nail to hit, I suppose, Yep. But really, you know, un-American, what is un-American? What's un-Australian for that matter? Yeah. I would think the most American or Australian thing is that if you have an opinion, as much as you and I may not like it, it might be your right to express it as long as it is backed up with some sort of facts. I don't like people expressing views that are totally 
bereft of facts, but it's it goes back to that whole business at the start of the American Revolution. You know, I may not agree with your opinion, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. That did not happen during the 1940s in the House Un-American Activities Committee. No, it certainly didn't. Uh, the film we're talking about, Trumbo, concerned itself with one of the Hollywood Ten, the well-known scriptwriter Dalton Trumbo, who... Uh, uh, wasn't shy, shall we say, about his leftist leanings, and he was a fan of the communist system in Russia at the time and thought that America would do better to uh, look towards Russia to get its political ideals from. And, of course, some of those thoughts uh, were insinuated into his screenplays, at least that was the fear and concern of the uh, political right establishment uh, in America at the time. So he was part of the Hollywood Ten, as were nine others. They called the, This group were called the Ten because, obviously, there were ten of them, but they refused to uh, say anything before the House Run American activities and refused to help them out, mm. and they got imprisoned. Not for very long, but long enough for their careers to be absolutely shot. But with Dalton Trumbo, and as this film beautifully exposes, there was this thing in Hollywood that, no, you weren't to employ these people, Mm. but they were employed under other names, aliases, noms de plume, as it were, and made a pretty good living out of it. Yes, some did, Uh, although... Not all, uh, yeah. No, no, a lot of careers went down the tube and couldn't get back up, but of course the good writers and the good actors and the good directors all got work, and in the writer's case, they were able to write scripts under non-diplume, and Dalton Trombo is probably the most famous because his work on Roman Holiday actually got an Academy Award for script writing and went to uh, another man who fronted for Trombo's work. Uh, When he was finally given posthumously uh, the award a few years ago, uh, they had to strike another Oscar for it because the son of the uh, of the man who had fronted for Trumbo uh, way back uh, when the original award was handed out wouldn't give it back, so they had to produce a separate Oscar. Isn't that amazing? Because, yeah. you know, for all the fascination with this period of history, and it is about Hollywood, and Hollywood likes making movies about Hollywood, you don't see too many movies about this time. It kind of gets briefly mentioned in The Way We Were, and of course this movie, Trumbo, is all about Dalton Trumbo, and there was that Woody Allen movie, The Front. Well, that was an odd one, wasn't yeah. it? Because it was more a comedy than mm. than a serious drama, even though it did spell out the truth of what happened. It was... Yeah directed by Martin Ritt, who was a victim of the blacklist, and Walter Bernstein uh, uh, wrote it, and uh, he was also uh, a problem with that. And Zero Mostel had a problem uh, getting uh, his career and uh, work uh, around the traps, and uh, he was able to star in this film, and a lot of the anecdotes in the film came from his own true experience. I'm sure they were right. And the actors had it the worst of all, in a way, because the writers could write under another name, some of the directors went off and made films in Britain. Quite a few Correct, of them did yep. there. Whereas the actors, they were kind of caught. They couldn't act under another name, of course. Everyone knew what they looked like, and they tended not to go to England or Europe like the directors. And so they were really caught out, and people's lives and careers were destroyed. So what if they were a communist big deal or they expressed some sort of communist belief? Let's face it, as it's pointed out, 
the Russians were our allies in World War Two, and it was only after World War Two that uh, they became our enemies. And a lot of these people didn't express these views at all. They just thought, oh, yeah, it's interesting, and then moved on with their lives. Went but, along to a few party That's movies. right. You know, 30 years earlier, and that was <laughs> it. And they were tarred with that brush for the rest of their life. Yes, the records would have you believe that over 300 people in the industry were affected and only about 10 to 15% of them got their careers back on track. Mm. So that's uh, a yeah. pretty terrible history uh, in Hollywood. Yeah. But as you say, it's been glossed over to a certain Well, Hail Caesar recently, of course, yeah. uh, sort of touched on it. But the interesting thing was, and I actually talked to somebody, a friend of mine whose parents were sort of involved in, with the Communist Party in Australia in the 50s, because what struck me about the Dalton Trumbo story is they never really seemed to do anything. The same with Hail Caesar. They had a lot of meetings, but that was it. And that yes. was the same thing in Australia. They talked a lot. They kept having meetings and never actually went on with anything. Well, the, the fear of the head of Hoppers and, and William Randolph Hearst and rest of the media was, and the politicians, of course, right-wing politicians, was that these scriptwriters were writing in scenes and plot lines that supported... Uh, yeah. Socialism, mm. and uh, so of course they could just press the button on the uh, film producers, the Universals, the RCAs, and Warner Brothers to say, uh, no, we don't, we don't want that person associated yeah. uh, with the writing of the films because of the ideas that might be hidden away somewhere in the plot lines and in the dialogue. Yeah, it's ridiculous, but you know that is what happened, and they were writing their views in. But boy, you had a lot of movies uh, being made at the time about how wonderful the American way was, so maybe this kind of just balanced it out a little bit. Yeah, I suppose so. And it's interesting that the blacklist finally uh, uh, went the way of the dodo <laughs> because of the uh, uh, the courage of um, Kirk Douglas. Otto yeah, publicly announced that Trumbo would be asked to write uh, for his... Uh, version of Exodus, mm. the uh, well-known film about uh, Israel after the war. And uh, in the meantime, Kirk Douglas had hired him to write for Spartacus. Yes. So those were the two films that revived the uh, Trumbo's. Yeah. Yeah, they say broke the blacklist. Yeah, from that point on, it just gradually went out of favour. Yes. Well, because money was to be made, Spartacus was a big hit. Um, it's all about, isn't it? That's right. But also, it was interesting that in the podcast, Katrina Longworth, in um, you must remember this, points out that President Kennedy, very early on in his presidency, went to a movie theatre, if you can believe it, because normally they would screen films at the White House, then and now, and he went to a public movie theatre to see Spartacus, as if to say, that's it, this blacklist rubbish is yeah. history now, and that I'm supporting, uh, you know, a writer who had been blacklisted. The 60s are here. Mm. <laughs> Goodbye, and, yes. <laughs> and then, you know, a few years later, Otto Preminger is playing Mr Freeze on the Batman TV series, and Kirk Douglas is one of the most popular stars in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, and Spartacus right. is interesting because we talked about Spartacus a few years ago. I remember when we they re-released it? That yeah. that's about an uprising, a revolt. That is, I suppose, what they're doing with uh, trying to end the blacklist. They are rising up against these brutal overlords. Yes, you can draw quite a few parallels there. Mm. Now, <laughs> tell me, uh, Kirk Douglas flexing his biceps. That's right. He flexed his bicep and flexed his Hollywood muscles at the same time. The movie Trumbo, though, about Dalton Trumbo, what do you make of it? Well, we must uh, 
laud the performance of Brian Cranston, who's just become the star of stars after his performance in Breaking Bad, and uh, he could probably pick anything he wanted to to star in the moment. He picked this project as well as doing live theatre and quite a few other things along the way. Um, I, I found it just a little bit lightweight, I've got to say. Not that I knew a lot of the history, but I, I just had a feeling that they went for easy laughs along the way. Right. And as you say, there's a lot of these uh, sort of monologues uh, by Trumbo to the rest of his mates, and, and none of it seems to go anywhere. They just seem to have these meetings. Yeah. And uh, Cranston always... Well, Cranston's a very solid performer, as is uh, Helen Mirren. Very powerful actors, and they they hold the screen very easily. But uh, there's just a worry that they just went for the easy ride, and it's a bit lightweight. And I know there's a lot of uh, historical inaccuracies and merging of characters, and um, it's it just had the feeling that it could have been a bit more serious and would have been a bit more powerful. I really liked it. Uh, it is lightweight in a way and I think part of the problem here is that um, it was kind of produced or the people behind it were Dalton Trumbo's family and so they wanted a movie about their father or grandfather that told his story and told it from their point of view which they're perfectly entitled to do and you're well aware of that at the start of the movie and it is a story about someone who I think was very badly treated by Hollywood by the US government and by his employers and there's a great moment in it where he's gone to jail but eventually the a congressman who sent him there and basically he turns up in jail as well and he says oh we're both here and to which Trumbo says yeah but I didn't actually do anything wrong you did so apparently it did happen I think it's a really nice look at Hollywood I think it's an interesting story well told as usual John Goodman is fantastic in everything he does and um Brian Cranston, you write this kind of middling actor who was in Malcolm in the Middle and and then Seinfeld Very playing good in that too. comic roles. Yeah. Suddenly with Breaking Bad and then playing uh, LBJ in All the Way, and now this one, he's just the biggest star in Hollywood. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. but he's spending half a year doing uh, theatre, which I yes, find is right. just as oh, amazing. Probably. He could probably sit back there and knock off half a dozen films a year, but uh, no, he's uh, practicing his craft. Okay, so it is called Trumbo. It is about, well, one person's story in that Hollywood history in the 40s, 50s and into the 60s. And I found I found it to be really, really interesting, fascinating and a very, very good film. Mm. Okay. Yep. Rob Pemberton talking DVDs this morning. Now, the other one that we want to discuss, which you've seen and so far I have not, but it, some people are saying it's one of the best um, Holocaust movies, you might say, or the best movies about the Jewish experience in World War Two. Oh, I would have to agree. It's uh, you'd think after all this time that the story of the Holocaust has been told in so many formats and so many films that there was no new way to approach it. Sure, any time you do a film about this uh, historical period, it's going to uh, get to the emotional level pretty quickly because it's a shocking story and no matter whether you look at the large historical picture or you take a smaller um, family's uh, situation with the Holocaust uh, it always touches the nerves Son of Saul uh, is a small Hungarian film that uh, looks at a group of people who don't get a lot of coverage in normal films about the Holocaust and certainly about the concentration camps, 
and this is a group known as the Sonic Commandos, who were Jewish workers whose role was to actually uh, make it easier for the Nazis to kill the Jews in numbers, that they, they, were, they were responsible for collecting the belongings of those heading for the gas chambers, getting them in there with a minimum of fuss, getting rid of the bodies after the gas had done its job, and uh, cleaning out the places where the executions were taking place. Oh, and the next day, they do it all again. Mm. They had no choice. These were just yeah. prisoners who were just picked off the train and told, either you join this group of workers or we kill you. Yeah. And that was their choice. So in order to get another meal and see another sunrise, and they knew that the work was being done anyway, many yes. of them uh, joined those groups. And the terrible thing about it was that even though they had a slightly better life in the in the um, concentration camps in terms of food and where they were able to sleep and conditions like that, that uh, because they were uh, witnesses to the horror of the uh, of the executions, that they were, themselves were executed usually every three months or so. Mm. So there are actually 14 generations of summer commander through the uh, period of the war where even though they did live on, past the prisoners that they were working with, um, they themselves were going to die anyway. But as as the filmmaker makes his point, and it's an, an amazing film, there's no other way to, to view this. It uh, won the Grand Prix at Cannes. Uh, Golden Globe Best Foreign Language Film Academy Award. It follows uh, the path of one of the Sonic Commandos, whose uh, name is Saul, who uh, is the focus of the complete film. The director has made the decision to follow this man through a day and a half of his existence at the concentration camp in either medium shot or close-ups. And you're right there with this man for the whole length of the film. And it's a very, very emotional and visceral experience as he goes through his job. The the narrative concerns him uh, observing a young boy who wasn't uh, killed at the end of a, a gas session and sees a Nazi doctor strangling him to uh, kill the boy outright before the autopsy was uh, completed. And uh, for some reason, Saul get, gets into the fantasy where this boy is actually his son. And uh, he commits himself to finding uh, a rabbi somewhere in the concentration camp at Sedat Auschwitz um, who can uh, perform Kaddish and uh, the morning uh, ritual that uh, the Jewish boy needs to complete his life cycle and that is really the essence of the film as Saul tries to find a, a rabbi within the groups there. There's a rebellion taking place, there's other summer commandos who aren't as easy going, shall we say, as someone and accepting of their fate. Uh, it, it just drags you in and just takes you through uh, the emotional uh, ride from A to Z. It's an extremely powerful film. And, uh, I wouldn't plan on doing anything after yes, seeing it for yeah. a while. Look, it's a situation that we can't possibly imagine what it was like. No. And you can't possibly criticise these people for collaborating, which is essentially what it might be seen as, yeah. because you're right, the option is 
instant death or maybe death in three months' time. And who knows, um, because by that stage the camp might be liberated or anything might happen. You just have to try and get through another day and see what happens then. But, uh, yes, terrible, terrible story. And I'm amazed, really, it's taken so long to get to the screen, given that we've seen many, many films about the Holocaust over the years, and uh, this is certainly a new take on it. Well, there's certainly an element of guilt and shame, I suppose, about the existence of of these people. Apparently only about 20 survived to the end of the war out of uh, many thousands that were actually doing this work. And there are a couple of uh, historical records of their recollections and their memories and their stories. And one of those which uh, got the director working, it's it's his first film, Laszlo Nimes, I think is the way he pronounced his name, is Hungarian director. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what he does after this because it was an immense challenge for the camera work, which yeah. just grips you from the first opening shot, which goes for a while and then you just stay with it and the sound design as well, because you never actually get to see a a wider shot of uh, the actual camp, but you keep hearing these voices and these shouts and these explosions and and, fire crackling. It's just uh, a very immersive experience. Do warn people, uh, it's very strong stuff. It's a very powerful story. So two movies today about some pretty dark times, one just about the darkest of the 20th century, that is Son of Saul and also Trumbo, which is a lighter look at a, a pretty troubled time as well. Rob, thank you very much. Talk to you next week. Well done. Rob Pemberton, DVDs.